Anyway, if you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 7, and then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. Proverbs 23, verse number 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Again, we're not like the world. We don't operate like the world. We don't fight like the world. We don't use the means and methods of the world. We have better means and methods. Amen? It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. But they are mighty. Remember mighty. Hulk-like mighty. Right? Superman-like mighty. Resurrection power-like mighty. But they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Remember what they are. They're the lies that we believe is true. That are launched in our mind that settle there and that keep us bound. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Today in our series Mental Health Goals, I want to speak to you about the mighty, mighty repealing weapons that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Would you speak by your power, by the authority of the Holy Spirit? Would you anoint the Word of God and would you anoint my ears, my mouth, and my heart right now to preach and say what you would have me to? I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you know, we are focusing on the importance of mental health and how mental health has an impact on our overall health. You might Know that from Scripture, 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Your soul is your inner man, specifically in many cases in the Bible. It is talking about your mind, your will, your emotions. As your soul, mind, will, and emotions prosper or are healthy, it affects every aspect of your life. And so we've been looking at this, and we've been looking at how our life literally follows our mind. It follows our thoughts. And so many places in Scripture tell us this. Perhaps the most direct is our opening text, Proverbs 23, verse 7. As one thinks, so is he. Your thoughts determine who you are. Your thoughts determine the life that you will experience in in this world. It determines the things that you do, your behavior, your habits, your character. It shapes your destiny. One scientist even said this about the importance of our mind and our brain. His name is Eric Candle. He's a Nobel Prize winning neuropsychiatrist, and he works on the memory. And so he said this, our thoughts, even our imaginations, get under the skin of our DNA, and they can turn certain genes on and certain genes off, changing the structure of the neurons in our brain. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty powerful to me. That thoughts are turning genes on and off on the inside of us. Our thoughts very have a very profound effect on our lives. And Mr. Candle, he's not the only scientist who has finally weighed in on something that God has been trying to tell us all along in his word. Now it is commonly believed through behavioral research that the reason why people do the things that they do is not just because they want to do those things, 
disease, but because of these things called neuropathways in our brain that program us and get us into an almost automation process. And so we find ourselves, and you can see this in your own life, in cycles of behavior all of the time, right? Pretty much the same cycles. We become creatures of habit, and people want to conquer things, but they're not able to conquer things. And many times it's not because they don't have a desire to, but they don't know why they can't overcome it. And it's because their mind has been programmed a certain kind of way. And these neural pathways that are unhealthy are called ruts. We call them ruts. We get stuck in brain ruts. And so we repeat these, these cycles over and over again. And these ruts are formed by the enemy of our soul launching lies against our mind that we believe as true, that we accept as fact, even though they're not true. And they become strongholds or fortresses in our head that take a lot to get rid of in our lives. And so if we're actually going to change our lives, we've got to somehow destroy these fortresses or these strongholds that are in our mind. And the good news is that God has given us mighty weapons to demolish strongholds, to hit those strongholds with wrecking ball power, with resurrection power, to get them out of your head so that we can then build or dig new trenches of truth so that our life can begin better cycles or victorious cycles. And so last time I gave you a little bit of homework, by the way, and I said part of your homework, I hope you did it this week, because guess what? Your life's not going to change automatically. Amen? A lot of people just waiting for life to change automatically. And then it doesn't change. And I don't understand why my life... You have to be proactive. You have to be involved. You have to be a participant in your spiritual growth and your mental health. And so I told you this week, I said, I want you every day to confess, I am committed to using God's mighty weapons. I am committed to using God's mighty weapons because I wanted you to prepare your mind and your heart for actually using these things to, to begin. If you confess something long enough, you'll actually do it. We'll talk about that later on in the series. And so we talked about the mighty weapons last week, and we said there's three groups of mighty weapons. You might remember mighty repealing weapons. They uproot and destroy the unhealthy ruts in our lives. We're going to talk about them today. Mighty renewing rep weapons. They rewire our mind and they, 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 they take the place of, or they create new neural pathways that build these healthy trenches of truth in our head. And then we have the reframing weapons and they, they strengthen those trenches of truth so that we create ongoing and lasting productive cycles of victory in our lives. And so today what I want us to focus on is the repealing weapons. And as a backdrop for how they work in our lives, I want to use Jesus's most famous parable the parable that Charles Dickens called the greatest story that has ever been told. And in this story, Jesus, it's called the, the story of the prodigal son, by the way. And in this story, we can see how these repealing weapons, these mighty repealing weapons actually go to work in the prodigal's life in order to pull him out of the experience that he found out wasn't good for his life and get back to the path of victory that his father had for him. And so Luke chapter 15, if you're following along in your Bible, I'm going to begin in verse 11 and just read a few verses here. It says, then he said, or Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions on prodigal living, wheels off living, living with no constraints, living with no rules. By the way, sometimes we think that's good for us. How many of you know that's the, the, the worst thing for us? Can I just tell you, rules are good. Can I say it again? Rules are good. They are not meant to hurt our lives. They are meant to keep bumper guards on our life, to keep pushing us in the right direction. Anyway, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Remember, he was Jewish, so this was not a great job for him. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So as we come to the text, we find this man has these two sons, an elder one and a younger one. We'll call the younger one, he's our focus, we'll call him Junior. And Junior, if you notice, he's got the life that everybody wants. Right? He's got, he's got a life that is wonderful and beautiful and it's a life that his good, good father has provided for him. He's living in a nice place. Matter of fact, if you read the details of the story, culturally speaking, Jesus gives all the signals that this father is rich. He's affluent. He's, 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 he has success. He's well known. He's provided everything for his kids. They're living in a nice house, probably the best of education. They're wearing the finest clothes. They're eating the, the, the most sumptuous meals. I mean, they They've got everything that you can want. They've got the best life that could be afforded to anyone. But somehow, someday, one day he wakes up, Junior wakes up, and he goes to his dad and he says to his dad, give me my inheritance. Now, you might have heard me teach this in in times past, but this was really disrespectful in Bible days. In Bible days, when you said to your father while he was alive that you want your inheritance, it meant, I want you dead. That's literally what it meant. And so he was saying that I want what you have for me, but I don't want any relationship with you. And you might look at Junior Cross-Eyed, but let's face it, that's the American church. We want what God has, but we don't want real relationship with God. Some people think that their faith that is not strong enough to take them to church is going to take them to heaven. Did I just say that? I mean, that was, I saw it as a meme. I had to throw it into the message right there. Anyway, what we, so we see in Junior, he's got this, he's got this hate suddenly for his father. Now here's the question. How did Junior get to a place where suddenly he hated his father who had provided everything? Did he just wake up one morning after loving, 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 day after day after day, having a great relationship with his father and suddenly one morning he just woke up, I hate my father. That's not how it works, right? As Casting Crowns told us in one of their famous songs, it's a slow fade to give your heart away. And so what happened to Junior? Junior began to nurse some lies. He started to, uh, to, to, to nurse or to think on some unhealthy thoughts. Thoughts like, my father's rules are restricting me. My father's cramping my style. My father's standing in my way. Rules are for losers. I can make it on my own. I know better than my father. Look at all the fun my friends are having over there. In short, he thought the grass was greener on the other side. You know what the devil plays in our mind all the time? You know, your marriage has lost a little spark. You know, 
By the way, it's normal. That happens if you don't intentionally rekindle it. It will lose spark. That's like not, not because you don't love each other anymore, but because you, you stop trying, you stop being affectionate to one another, you stop, you know, doting on one another, you stop complimenting one another, you start hanging out, stop hanging out with one another, you, you, you stop doing things that married couples are supposed to do. And so when you do those kind of things, it, it fades, right? And, and so what happens, right? When that, ha- when that goes on in our life, you hear the enemy whisper in your ear, well, the grass is greener on the other side, right? And so you begin to nurse these thoughts and you nurse these thoughts. And where do these thoughts come from? Well, in the story, there's, there's not just the characters that we see in the story, but there's also a character in the shadows. We see two sons and we see a father in the story. And we think there's only three participants in the story. But the story is real careful to tell us there's a fourth participant. He's the citizen from a far country. Who is a citizen from the far country that hangs in the shadows of our life, that launches lies our way when we are under the care and protection of Father's house? He is the enemy of our soul, the devil, right? And what does he do? He launches those lies in order to lure us away from our Father's house. And when we believe the lies... What happens is we eventually leave or we eventually get lured away because our mind in life is always the first thing to go. People don't just wake up one day and go, I'm making this decision. Usually it doesn't happen that way. The mind is always the first thing to go. When a husband or a wife cheats on the other one, it's not that day that they've cheated. They cheated actually probably weeks before that, months before that. When somebody decides to leave their family, they don't leave their day. They left long ago. When somebody decides to quit a job, it's usually not in the moment that they quit the job. They've usually thought about it for a while until they quit the job. Our mind is always the first thing to go. And so the enemy knows this. And what he does is he launches lies in the form of strongholds when we accept them into our mind to lure us away from the protection of father's house and so this is what happens to junior now he's lured away but there's good news just like the enemy is in the shadows there's a god who is our savior and he doesn't just stand by he doesn't just go, okay, you know, I, I give you up, you know, go do what you got to do and all that kind of stuff. God works and God has given us these things called mighty repealing weapons. And I want to give you a few of them, okay? And these are, they're, they're not like weapons that you'll find the title of in scripture. These are things that I just kind of put together and categorize so that you'll know the importance of them, but they're all based on scripture and spiritual truth. The first one is the expose it weapon, the exposure weapon. Or the bring the lie to the light weapon. How many of you know that the power that lies have are when they remain in the dark? And anytime a lie remains in the dark, it has power. But as soon as you bring a lie to light, it loses its power. And notice what happens with Junior. He spent, verse number 14, all. He arose. There was a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want. And then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him in the fields to eat the food or to feed the swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs ate. But no one gave him anything. And he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish with hunger? Let me tell you what's going on here. He's starting to ask himself a question. How did I get here? How did I go from palace life to pig pen life? How did I go from being uh, living a life that was wonderful to living a life 
that is like this. And you might say, well, why is that important? Because how many of you know that when you begin to ask yourself questions about what's going on in your life, you're actually on the, on the, on the track or on the path to being restored, right? You're on the path to actually getting out of the situation, asking yourself, how did you get it? You are inspecting or you are now thinking about what you are thinking about. You are taking inventory and you are auditing your life and auditing your thoughts. How did I get here? And the first step of bringing a lie to light is to begin to think about what you're thinking about. Can you say amen? So what's he doing? He's entering the battle for his mind. He's suddenly realizing that something is going on in his life that he may not have been aware of before. He's suddenly waking up to the fact that maybe maybe this isn't what I thought. Now he's deciding to become a thought warrior. He is suddenly realized that maybe there is a citizen in the shadow that needs to be outed by the light. And you might remember last week, what did I tell you to do as part of your homework? I told you to pray a prayer, right? The prayer was based on Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me, then lead me in the way everlasting. Why did I tell you to pray that? Because I wanted you to start thinking about what you're thinking about. I wanted you to start taking inventory and auditing what is going on in your life, because what is going on in your life will reveal to you what you're thinking in your head. And so when we expose, when we bring to light, and a lot of Christians, by the way, they're afraid of exposure. Hold on to that thought for just a minute. You gotta become aware. Cause you can't fight what you don't know. You gotta assess where's this coming from? Is this stronghold the result of ungodly influences? Is this stronghold the result of, of constantly having the wrong person or people speaking into my life? Is it a result of an injury? Is it a rogue thought that came from a real pain in my past? Am I holding on to something that has hurt me, that has become a stronghold in my mind? I'm acting out as a result of that stronghold, so I won't let nobody in because somebody hurt me, or I think everybody is like because somebody who looked like that did this to me. Where is it coming from? You've got to assess. Is it an injury? Is it is it an influence? Is it an inflammation? Is it a rogue thought coming? Because you keep feeding it. By looking at, by reading, by getting your mind in into the same stuff all of the time. There are some Christians, they watch the news more than they read their Bible. And they wonder why their, their mind is worldly. They wonder why they care more about political things than they care about spiritual things. Understand we are in the world. I, I know we need to know what's going on in the world. But when your, when your belief system starts getting politically biased instead of spiritually biased, you're watching too much news. And you need to get your face in the word of God again, right? So is this something that is inflamed by my behavior? Where are my thoughts coming from? I've got to assess, assess where this is happening. Audit and inventory. And then I can acknowledge. Then I can say... Okay, this is, this is what's going on here. And, and, and when you acknowledge, you're bringing the lie into the light. And like I said, a lot of Christians, they're afraid of bringing lies into the light. One of the scriptures that, that, that freaks people out, Luke chapter 8, verse 17. For there is nothing secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not, that will not be known and come to light. And most people, they put their head down when you read that scripture, like, <laughs> Because they think that's for punishment. It's not for punishment. And so it loses its power. 
See, God doesn't, God doesn't bring things out for punishment, for punishment's sake, right? God brings things out because he wants stuff to lose its power over you. Because when you bring the lie into the light, it loses its power. And did you know that scientifically, for example, not dealing with a tragedy or a bad memory and just tucking it away and expecting it to go away because of time is one of the worst things that you could do. Matter of fact, when you tuck and you don't deal with something, your neural pathway gets grooved. But do you know that when you bring something out to light, that when you actually talk about a tragedy, and, and, and there's a point at which you can talk about something too much, right? Our, our mind is, it, it's wired a certain way, right? But, but we have been taught in, in many churches, don't acknowledge a problem, don't talk about a pain, don't, don't do anything like that. Now don't go around saying to this one, pain, I got this pain, I just want you to know I got this pain, I just want you to know I got that problem, I just want you to know this is going on in my life, can't get over this thing, and I wish I could, but it never really will. Don't, don't do that. That'll deepen your rut. But there, there comes a point at which you've got to bring the problem thought to the light because scientifically when you bring a thought out, do you know then it's most vulnerable? It's like sort of like when you, when you bring something out of the oven, right? That's the best time to season it. It's vulnerable then. If you put something on something that's hot, it soaks in all the seasoning. And so what happens is when you bring a thought into the light that is negative, when you bring a mindset into the life that is negative, it actually becomes malleable and pliable. Now you have the opportunity to begin to do something within. And so here's what happens, though. It's really hard, usually, for us to acknowledge and and, and come to grips with some of the things that are rogue in our life, right? Some of our mindsets that are not right. And so thank God for God. God helps. See, how does God help? Pig pens. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. See, pig pens, are, don't, don't get it twisted. The pig pen that we wind up in because we, 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 we are held prisoner by strongholds is not the doing of God. It's the doing of the devil. That's his ultimate like plan, right? To lure us from Father's house, from the life that God has for us. So we wind up in a pig pen, eating pods that the pigs ate, right? That's what the devil wants. And then the devil sits back and he's like, ha, 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 ha. I got you, got you. Because how many of you know, sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you longer than you're willing to stay. And so he lowers and lowers and lowers and then pan there you are in the pig bed. He's like, ah, I got you, I got you, I got you. But see, here's what I found out. God uses those same pig pens that the enemy sends us into in order to wake us up because it was the pig pen experience that caused him to say, how did I get here? How many of you are grateful that God intervenes in the moments and in the places that the enemy puts you in and he turns those places around and uses them for his glory? He almost ate, but he didn't because all of a sudden had a thought. How many of you have ever been in a place you're almost, but God stopped it? You're almost, but God intervened. You're almost, but God woke you up. You're almost, but God said, no, 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 no. And God brought something into your life or somebody into your life. God is involved in the process. That's our testimony sometimes. We almost, but God stopped it. And so these pig pens oftentimes... The places that are the enemy sends to break us are usually the places that God uses to wake us in our life, to get us to think about what's going out, the exposure principle. But then number two, one is vulnerable. 
How many of you know that's the best place to assault? I'm a, I told you this last time, I'm a great trash talker. Like I'm, I'm like world class trash talker. And if I get on something and I see you get nervous about it, I'm all over it. I, be, I ride that thing like just there because I can, there's a vulnerability there. And this is just playing, right? It's not like trying to make somebody, you know, I'm, anyway. So, so the thought, it, it gets exposed. The lie gets exposed. It's vulnerable now. So now you have to use the assault weapon, assault it. And this is when we pit the light against the lie. When we expose it, we bring the lie into the light. But when we assault it, we pit the light against the lie. Did you get that? What We bring the lie into the light. That's good. That's how we expose it. We make it malleable. We make it pliable. But then when we assault it, we pit the light against the lie. We begin to assault that thing. Notice what happens in Junior's life. But when he came to himself, what does he say? How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish, perish with hunger? What did he do? He suddenly got hold of a truth. And he began to use that truth against the lie that allured him away from the father's house, right? So what is he doing? He's saying, all of a sudden, I've got to use this truth. My dad ain't so bad. My dad wasn't trying to rain on my parade. My dad's rules aren't as bad as I thought they were. My dad wasn't an evil man or a bad man. I shouldn't have hated my dad. My dad was a loving, kind man that provided all these things. What's he doing? He's pitting the light against the lie. He's realizing that better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. He's realizing I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to be in the places of success with the wicked. What is he realizing? He's he's pitting the light against the lie, right? Junior said, I'm not a pig pen child. I'm a child of God, a good, good father. I'm not a pot-eating person. I'm a fatted, calf-eating person. I'm not a broke person. I'm a blessed person. I ain't a citizen of a faraway country. I am a child of a wealthy, affluent, influential, heavenly father. What did he do? He was pitting the light against the lie. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, listen to me. Please, I I beg you, know the word. I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you. Know the word, know the word, know the word, know the word. Read the word, read the word, read the word. Study the word, study the word, study the word. It is your number one weapon to break the strongholds and the lies in your head. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Living and powerful because it comes from the king. Alive and powerful, packed with resurrection power, packed with demolition power. It comes in like a wrecking ball to destroy the strongholds. The King James says it's alive and it's active. In other words, it's working even when it doesn't seem like it's working. How many of you know sometimes when you run a wrecking ball into a wall, it don't do anything. It just look, boom. And like, oh, that didn't work. And you're like, don't. And that didn't work. And the next time it's like, doop, and there's a little crack. And it's like, doop, 
and the crack is bigger. And then boom, and the crack is even larger. And then bam, and the whole wall comes down. Here's what happens when you pit the truth against the lie. You just, just throw truth at it. Throw the word of God at it. And you think, well, that didn't have any effect. Throw it again. And that didn't have any effect. Throw it again. What's happening is bam, 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 bam. And the cumulative effect of you keep hitting the lie with the truth is eventually the stronghold gets demolished and ripped out of your life. Please prioritize the word. You do not realize how much of a disadvantage Christians who don't know the word are. You're fighting weak when you don't have to fight weak. You're fighting without a way. It's like God is saying here and you're like, nah, I don't need that. You're fighting carnal when you could be fighting mighty. And so you need to assault that thing, the assaulting weapon. And then the third weapon is what I call the attend to it weapon. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Sometimes we think the enemy is the only one who launches thoughts our way. The enemy launches lies our way, but can I tell you what God the Holy Spirit does? He launches truth our way. There is never a circumstance and a time in your life when you won't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit counteracting the voice that is going on in your head and you will hear something going on in your spirit and going on in your heart. Oftentimes it won't be loud. It won't be like, you know, that you can hear it out here, but it'll take up everything that's on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit's voice needs attention. Pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's your advocate. He's your coach. He's your go-between. He is the one who is speaking on the inside of you and he is giving you truth, the truth of the word of God. He's bringing back to your remembrance everything that you are putting in yourself on a daily basis. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 says this, my son attend to my words, incline thy ear to my sayings. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the whisper within amidst the noise in your head. He's the counter voice. He's the voice of your conscience. He's the whisper within. Remember when Elijah's mind was a mess? If Elijah's mind could be a mess, he was a great man of God, prophet of God. I mean, called down fire from heaven, did many mighty miracles. If his mind could be a mess, our mind could be a mess. And Elijah's mind was a mess. He had this great victory. By the way, you know when your mind is very vulnerable after a great victory? Because what happens after you win? You're like, you relax, right? And when you relax, that's when you're vulnerable. So that's why it's important for you to know you. Know what it means, what happens to you when you're not on. What happens to you when you are not gone? What do you feel yourself getting vulnerable in? Be honest with those, with those things, right? Elijah has this great victory, right? He calls down fire from heaven, destroys all the prophets of Baal, and he thinks that, you know, that the, the wicked king and the wicked queen, that they're going to turn the whole nation back over to God, and they, they, they issue a death warrant against him. They say, we're coming after you. And Elijah, what does he do? He prays that he would die. And he runs off into a place He's hiding out in a cave, and you know the story. And the, the, the earthquake happens. It's great, and God wasn't in that. Great wind happens. God wasn't in that. Great fire happens. God wasn't in that. Earth, wind, and fire. Right? Some of the young people have no idea what I was just talking about. There. Earth, wind, and fire? What are you talking about, Pastor? But it says, and then there was a gentle, a still small voice. In the original language, 
a whisper above the noise. A whisper above the noise. What's happening? The Holy Spirit's talking. When our, when our mind is being affected by the strongholds of life, we need to attend to the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit, well, why does he whisper? I think it's because it's like, he's like that, that, that expert in your ear. You ever see, you know, some of the charlatans and, and the Christian, they, they have ear things in, by the way. Some of these guys, you know, I won't name them and everything, but, but some, they're faking the, the gifts of the Spirit, right? They find out things about people. They have people in the, in the audience and they go and have conversations and then, and then the person says it in their ear and then they say it out and everybody thinks, oh my God, they know their God is speaking to them, right? They have somebody in their ear. How many of you know, and I'm just using this as an illustration, you got somebody in your ear all the time. You got somebody else just whispering, don't do that. Don't listen to that. Turn here. Turn there. Don't invest in that. Do invest in this. Walk away. Say no. I know it looks like a good deal, but it's really not a good deal. It's a bad deal. Don't say that back to your wife. Don't say that back to your husband. Bless them even though they cursed you. Do nice to them even though they did something wrong to you. Pay for the car and back to you. Pay for this person's groceries. Sow a seed here. Sow a seed there. Today, bring a double tithe into church. Ever hear the Holy Spirit say that? Somebody said, no, pastor. Pay attention. What's happening? The Holy Spirit, he's that expert in your ear. Why does he do that? I think he does that to bug out the devil. Because, you know, when you're a mess, you're a mess, right? When you're a mess, your mind is like, you know, and the devil looks at you and he's got you on the ropes and, you know, he hears all the crazy things that are coming out of your mouth and sees all the crazy things that you're doing. You know, you're, you're about ready to go on the pig pen and the devil is laughing. And then all of a sudden, it's like you become a new person. All of a sudden, you start talking truth, and you start acting a different way. And the devil's like, how in the world did that happen? And the Holy Spirit just whispering. And I think the Holy Spirit just whispering like that. He wants to bug the devil out. Well, how did they turn around so quick? How did they get back on the right track so fast? How many of you know you don't have to stay on the wrong track for a long time? You can make a decision. Get right back on the right track today. And when you get right back on the right track, if you read the rest of the story, your father will throw a party for you. Right? But you got to attend to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's a whisper because you got to be still to hear him. Here's our problem why we don't hear God too much. We're too busy. We're too connected. Unplug sometimes. Everybody should have a basket at the door when you enter your house. Put the phone there. At least for a couple of hours. You ain't going to die. I mean, if somebody really needs you, they'll call you on your house phone. Anybody still have a house phone, by the way? Anyway, you might miss the call, whatever the case may be. Just put, unplug for a minute. You know, don't wake up. What's the first thing we do when we get up? Reach for the phone. Put the Bible where your phone is. And when you get up in the morning, when you reach for what you think is your phone, you reach for the Word of God. And you get that Word of God in your heart. Unplug for a minute so you can hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And it's difficult for us to unplug, but God helps. You know how God helps? Pig pens. Because what do pig pens do? Pig pens make us attentive. Notice this. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. No one. Anybody ever have no one? Isn't that how the enemy makes you feel? I got no one. No one will listen. No one cares. 
No one's checking up on me. And, and listen, we try like, you know, our hardest to know what's going on in people's life. A lot of times we don't know. And then some people, they get, they get mad about it. They're like, I can't believe nobody called me. I was going through this. I said, you tell anybody? Well, no. Well, how's we supposed to know then, right? But see, that's the devil. The devil getting you fixated on a no one. I got nobody and nobody cares and nobody checked up and nobody this and nobody that and nobody this. But can I tell you what happens in your nobody when you have nobody? When you have nobody, you tend to hear the Holy Spirit. Because you're not looking for an answer from a person and you are forced to get an answer from your heavenly Father through the voice of the Holy Spirit who is God. Thank God for the nobody moments. Thank God for the moments when nobody called me. Thank God for the moments when nobody checked up on me because it was those times that I was forced to do what I should have been doing the whole time. And that is to hear from the expert, to listen into the whisper, to get the advice that I needed in order to crush the stronghold in my life and get back on the right path to Father's house. Thank God for those nobody moments. But the other reason why he whispers is because he's just close. You can feel like you're, you're losing your mind sometimes. And you're like, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? And then you hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And here's why he's whispering. He's saying, I'm close. You can't hear a whisper from far away. You can only hear a whisper so close. And then fourth weapon, fourth repealing weapon. And this could really be in any of the categories because it has a lot of breath. But I put it here. We'll probably talk about it more. Pray about it. Pray about it. Notice what he said. Junior said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father. That, that's a perfect definition of prayer, isn't it? What is prayer? It's talking to your father. Talking to not your stranger. Talking to not like your distant friend. Not talking to a relative you never see. Talking to your father. And what happens? The Lord does something to our mind when we talk to him. Listen to what Philippians says happened when we pray. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That's the whisper. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And watch what happens when I pray. The peace of God, which passes or surpasses all understanding, what does it do? It guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So what's happening when our mind is under assault and we pray, God sends this peace over us because what happens when you're losing your mind? You lose your peace. You start getting anxious, you start getting worried, you start getting frantic, all those things. But when you pray, God sends a peace that literally is a guarding peace. It stands guard. What does that mean? It tells the thoughts, sorry, not today. Sorry, there ain't no room for you in here. Sorry, we're, we're not listening to you today. Sorry, no, no access today. Sorry, the boss is busy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, you have to come back at a different time. Why? Because you got somebody standing guard. You got the peace of God standing guard over your mind when you pray. Matter of fact, just this week, it's amazing. I'm always tested in the areas I preach. That's why I preach so good, by the way. Because if you preach out of something you've never been to, it ain't that, it's no good. What do you have to say? You don't know. You never tried it. You never worked it. And so I get real careful. I guess why I got to be prayerful about what I'm going to preach about. Because I'm always like, all right, God, I know if I preach about this, you're going to learn something here. Right? 
And so I'm preparing the message about this. And the way I do it is I, as I, I do many renditions. Rendition one, then, I, then I, more of rendition two. And each, each rendition builds upon the last rendition. And I use the notes from the last rendition to write the current rendition. And so I had been on my third rendition. Usually when I get to number three, number three is usually the one that I use. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm going through it and I'm, I'm gleaning back on the notes. And I got rendition two here and rendition three here. And I'm writing down. And, and I guess I had my head down too long writing, you know, without looking at this. I looked up to go back to rendition two. And rendition two wasn't there no more. I said, where, where, where'd that go? And so suddenly, I, I'm like, I got papers all over my desk, books open all over my desk. And so now I start going through every paper to look for rendition two. I'm going through every single paper, front and back, front and back, front and back. I can't find it. I'm looking on the floor. Then I said, well, maybe, maybe I crumbled it up. And I know some of y'all think this is old age, but okay. So I crum- maybe I thought I crumpled it up and put it in the trash. So I went through the trash paper bag. And then I went through all the papers again. I'm telling you, I went through every single one of them. Every single one of them. And, and literally at this point, literally, 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 I'm feeling like I'm losing my mind. I'm like, God, it, it was just here. And, and, and I'm like, I just kept, and I'm getting up. I go, I go into the bathroom. Did I leave it in the bathroom? I'm looking everywhere. And I'm, I'm, I, I looked for 10 minutes and I couldn't find it. And finally I just said, Lord, I need you to help me find this. I sat back at my desk. I looked at the paper. It was right there. Now, you can call that senile, you can call that old age, you call it whatever you want to. I call it the power of prayer. I don't know how that thing appeared there, but I'm telling you, I looked there a hundred times, but suddenly that anxious, that worry, it's just a regular example, it went away, and I got the peace of God again. I said, that's right, Lord, you put it right there for me. I don't care if it was there the whole time. I'm going to say prayer worked because the experiences or the what you tell yourself it's just as important as what you experience right, in your life. Prayer, what does it do? It guards our heart and our mind. Let me tell you how this works on a brain level. Craig Rochelle in his book, The War on Your Mind, he quotes Dr. Andrew Newberg, director of the research at Thomas Jefferson Hospital and Medical College in Pennsylvania. And he studies the brain using what they call neuroimaging. And he wrote this. He said, prayer... Is like a physical workout for your brain, and it changes its chemistry. Prayer does that. Now, I have a question for you. If prayer makes your brain healthy, if you're a Christian and your brain's not healthy, what does that say about your prayer life? Hello? Dr. Karen Leaf, Leaf you've heard about her. She wrote the book, Switch on Your Brain, right? She says it's been found. Watch this. How many of you have seen the commercials, you know, if you work out? Now, now they, they don't want you to go to the gym for like, you know, an hour because they know nobody does that anymore, right? And so they come up with like seven-minute workouts, right? Because they feel everybody could do a seven-minute workout. They give you like a hundred seven-minute workouts. They just, just pick one seven-minute workout and just be diligent to do your seven-minute workout, right? At one point, it was like 10-minute workouts. And at one point, it was like 12-minute workouts. But now they got it down to seven-minute workouts because basically they want to give you no excuse. Everybody can work out for seven minutes. What if I told you you could change your brain in 12 minutes a day? 12 minutes a day, you can change your brain. Listen to what she said. 
She said, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain, uh, on a brain scan. Listen to Philippians again. Here's what it says. The Lord is at hand. Just a whisper. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What happened to Junior? Junior prayed, and the prayer caused the power of God, because it's one of those repealing weapons, to come in like a wrecking ball. And if you read the rest of the story, what happened to Junior? He went from dealing with the devil's mind darts to walking in his deliverance. He went from pig pen back to the palace. He went from disgrace back to his destiny, from not enough to more than enough, from hated to honored, from slave to son, from shame to celebrated, and from lost to found, all because he used stuff that every single one of us can use in our life. Getting your brain healthy. It's available to everybody. And once you get your brain right, you start seeing your life moving in the right direction. Mighty, repealing weapons. Would you stand to your feet? Praise the Lord. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you that you are such a good God. Thank you, Lord, for your involvement in our lives. Thank you, no no matter how many things we struggle with, no matter how long the strongholds have been, that, Lord, you are committed to being part of the process. Father, we thank you for your mighty weapons that you've given us. We thank you that you even kickstart them, Lord. We thank you that you turn every pig pen into a wake-up place in our lives. Father, we thank you that where the devil sends us, So that we are broke, Lord. You use that so we can become woke. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God. Would you join me in prayer? Every head bowed and every eye closed. You know it. We never like to close our services without giving people a chance to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that can happen to your spirit, to your body, to your mind is to give your life to Jesus How many of you know Jesus came to redeem us wholly, body, soul, and spirit? On the cross, he took 39 stripes so that our physical bodies can be well. Amen. He gave us his word so that our minds can be transformed. And amen. He paid the price for our sins so that our spirits and our souls could be set free. And if you're here today and you don't know if you're right with God, you're here because God loves you that much. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to make you right with him. If you're here today and that's you, and you want prayer, would you just put your hand up and say, Pastor, you know what? I don't know if I'm right with God, but today I want to get right with him. I want to give my life to Jesus. Hold it up if that's you. Is there anybody here that's like that? We won't beg because Jesus is too good to beg, but God loves you that much. Maybe there's somebody who's watching online, and maybe you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I want to lead you in a prayer. And for the benefit of anybody, I think last week, we had eight people give their life to Jesus just online alone. Isn't that wonderful? So let's go ahead and pray right now. If God is speaking to you and you're watching online or wherever you're watching from, would you say this after me? Can we all pray this together? Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. 
I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a little hand. Reach out and click it, and our online ministers will reach out to you and help you in your journey with the Lord. So good to be with all of you. I saw a lot of new faces. Come on back to the VIP area and say hello to me. I'd love to get to meet you. God bless all of you. We'll see you again next week.